0: Coming this autumn and winter, only on Distinct Nostalgia. Plenty of soap nostalgia. How many of these voices do you recognise? I think it would have felt more of a pressure if I'd had a character that I felt represented my colour badly. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? But it was very easy. Because she's this affluent, middle-class, aspirational character, she defies the stereotypes. So it was very easy for me to play Maddie and to be very happy with how they'd written her.
1: And I was in for one Monday night episode of Coronation Street to beat uh, uh, Philip Lowry of Dennis Tanner. And Ina Sharples was in, in that sequence as well. And uh, I'd just done a film with uh, and it's my mother in a film called uh, Laugh at Lad, right? playing this boxer who threw a fight. She heard about my threat, she got me under the viaduct and started shouting at me, pointing her finger, and saying, get out, go, go away from here. People like you you, you, you don't deserve to be here. Get out, and never come back, never come out! Go away, go away, go away. And our heads got closer and closer and closer. So the vein, there's a slight pause, and I said, give us a kiss. And it just brought the house down, everybody. The whole crew just laughed their heads off. And we had a funny character created, Jed Stone. And it was um, amazing.
2: And I went to digs in Piccadilly, and I actually got myself booked into a house of ill repute. And the next morning when I got to rehearsals, the very kindly Violet Carson, who played Ina Sharples, And Doris Speed, who played the landlady, said, are you all right? Were you somewhere comfortable? And I said, well, not really. It was very noisy at night. And they went, oh. And they took me back and they demanded my suitcase and refused to demand. They said that she's not paying. And he said, yes, she is. No, you're not, because we're going to the police. So he let me go. And it took me ages to realise what I'd actually done. Year after year, no matter how long you've been in the show, if I'm stood in that square at Christmas time with that massive tree up, I always get a little thrill. Even if I was dipping in and out of soaps growing up, we always watched the Christmas special in my house. Sometimes you'll find yourself in that square by that great big Christmas tree and you have a little sort of tingle up your spine and you go, I'm in EastEnders. This is mad.
1: (laughs) Donald Bavistock said to Kevin, I wanted to write a series because we're opening up daytime television about a farm. And he said, well, I don't know anything about a farm. So they said to him, we'll come up to Yorkshire and live for two or three weeks and find out. it did come off the shelf and it did start and Peggy said my name Matt was the first word of the series because she said Matt do you know all those new people over at Pickersgills or something similar to that and if that was Arthur Pentelow and his daughter Mr Wilkes because the daughter came riding over on a horse and she said do you know those people so my, I've always been quite proud that Matt was the very first word of the whole bloody series <laughs> and it's still going still going how many years later 50 years later or something
3: you were a stalwart of coronation street for quite a long time nearly yeah. 20
0: years weren't you in coronation yeah street? well
2: sort of over a period of that yeah,
0: yes on and off i think
2: yes but, yeah. i mean i went in initially into the shop jim's cafe as it was then i was invited there to sack pat phoenix uh-huh. <sighs> You know, I was, <laughs> I was actually leading lady in the West End, doing a bit. But actually going there to do—now you talk about nerves.
3: She was the leading lady of Croatia, oh, she, wasn't she? But
2: it wasn't that. It was that—it was unreal. It was surreal. Everybody says it. And it's true. You're completely surreal to go into there and go you couldn't concentrate you were going concentrate Amanda it's not Elsie it, it, it's Elsie Tam- it's Elsie Towner I'm talking to Elsie Tanner. I don't know what I'm going to say next I'm just this is what you do it was like being in the wake, being very in the middle of a dream and you're going concentrate Amanda you are supposedly an actress get on with it yeah there were hotels there was a big glossy sort of thing called hotel which Lou Gray ran as well And I had the feeling that, you know, a motel was something that not many people knew about, but was very popular in America, of course. And things that are popular in America catch on over here. So I thought, well, let's try that.
0: These soap legends are all coming to Distinct Nostalgia this autumn and winter, plus some great comedy, film and TV music legends as well. Here's just a few of the voices coming to Distinct Nostalgia.
2: I was told it was going to be about a busman and his family, and that uh, Reds Ronnie was playing the busman, and um, they said, we want her to be very plain. So I said, yeah, that's okay. So we went out for a day and sort of looked around all the bus stations and things. And I saw this woman who looked just like Olive, the hair parted and the glasses and terrible. And I went back and said, that's how I'd like her to be. In fact, the very first episode, I had a fringe for half of it and then no fringe for the second half because they wouldn't go back and shoot again. So, you know, it, it was just, it just stuck. It was very lucky. Fabulous. So
3: so you were part of the creation of Olive?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, because, you, you know, when you go into makeup rooms, they, they have their own ideas, but I had my idea from a woman I've seen in the bus station.
0: And and what was, I suppose, remarkable about it was that East is East is set in the late 60s, early 70s. We were doing this around just before 2000. 97, 98 was the stage play, 99 was the film. And yet... Even though these stories were 30 years old, we still hadn't addressed them in, on the contemporary stage or in film and in television. And I think that was maybe what was groundbreaking about it. There was nothing new when we made that film about a white woman and an Asian man having a family together. <laughs> it was a very, very old story. It's just that no one had told it that well.
3: They wrote Spike really with me in mind, and then back in May, I think it was around about May. I've still got the, the piece of paper that I wrote it down. when the, Jimmy Perry himself rang me up and said, "We're doing this new sitcom uh, about a holiday camp uh, in, the, in the set in the fifties, and uh, we'd like you to play a character we've written called Spike Dixon, who is you know the aspiring young camp comedian uh, was not very talented but he's full of enthusiasm." basically based on Jimmy Perry himself from his days in the Butlins holiday camps when he was a student at RADA, he used to go in the summer holidays and be a redcoat so basically it was was all the stuff, because they only wrote about what they knew about you see
2: Jimmy Stewart was absolutely super as my dad and years later when I was living in Beverly Hills in California we met in a a charity ball and he came over to the table where I was sitting and said, you're Jeanette, aren't you? <laughs> and, I said, and this time I was grown up and married and, you know. And I said, yes, I am. And he grabbed my arm and we went and we must have danced half a dozen dances together while we caught up on what we'd been doing. Well, I knew what he'd been doing, of course, but I told him about my life and he was a lovely man. Marlene Dietrich who was not known as being particularly friendly with any cast member gave me a great deal of her time and taught me about For example, camera lenses and to find out what number lens they were using because that would affect what size my head was going to be on the big cinema screen. And therefore I could either play down my performance or play up my performance according to whether it was a long shot or a close up.
0: Do you think even though you were happy with the roles, do you think Daisy ever wanted to swap with Hyacinth?
2: No, I don't think so. I think um, I think Daisy was perfectly happy. Oh, she loved Onzo, I think. Yeah. She really loved Onzo, and she was in control in her own house. And I don't think she could have kept as tidy as Hyacinth. I mean, she would have hated all that polishing and making people take their shoes off and all that sort of thing. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And I think they quite liked a lot of takeaways, I would think.
0: Was Onslow's dog as nasty in real life, or did it only ever bark at Hyacinth?
2: Oh, no, he was a dear dog. (laughs) And he used to love the inside scenes when we were eating chips, because he loved chips.
0: Ah, brilliant.
2: Oh, he loved the chips. Oh, we used to have some fun and laughed. And I loved Rose so much. She was, uh, oh God, her voice was beautiful. She was a great gospel singer, actually. Mary Miller. Yeah. She was lovely. And we had a lot of laughs. We really did.
1: The, the main tune, you see, I, I figured the title, Black Beauty, uh, and I thought, well, if the first three notes can echo Black Beauty, that would be a nice... So I did that sort of funny little violin thing, galloping, and then the tune would come in on French horns. And ba-ba-ba black beauty that's how i had it in my head it's not very original but and i I kind of followed it from there and utilized all this these wonderful musicians who you know i I was i didn't conduct in those days so harry bless his heart he conducted it but i was absolutely blown away to hear this my little tune being played by this huge orchestra
2: it was a special time and a place it's one i will never forget i'm writing my book right now and um the stories i have to tell are there's so many and so much and so exciting and as i said glitz and glamour it was a time when there were red carpets all over the place for parties all over the place and it was not it was never an unusual thing it was nothing to bump into carrie grant and Princess Grace and, you know, just that was the time. That was a time. And it was one I'm so lucky to have been part of.
3: We were actually in Man About the House, We, uh, as far as I remember, we were about two scenes in the first half uh, and then two scenes in the second half. But they became popular with an audience. John and Brian were very good as writers because they got on on the same uh, uh, sort of wavelength as their actors, so they wrote for their strengths. They developed us, and we developed the character as well, because we, unlike in the theatre where you get a chance to play, say, in a West End a role for maybe a year, that's just that role in that play. But in television, you get to play the role, but in various sequences in different story lines. and different storylines. And that's a great opportunity to develop. So George and Mildred became popular, and so they started to be then three scenes in act one and three in act two and so it growed like topsy uh, and in some cases they even built the storyline around the two characters and it, so it it sort of um, just grew everybody was, was shouting us, hello George hello Mildred we're maybe going to see you in your own series and things like that and we became bigger than we
1: thought oh no um, oh dear oh dear <laughs>
2: Mm. Oh, oh. I'm, no! This is rubbish. I'm sorry.
1: Um, un, unexplored brains. Mm. Okay, I know it's not the answer.
2: Oh, oh well, I never. I didn't know. It's a bit too highbrow for me.
0: And it's back. The Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month Series 5 with the first specialist subject, the carry-on films. I can't wait. Oh, matron. Plus, we've a very special surprise involving a new role for a massive legend of soap. It's all to come this autumn and winter, only on Distinct Nostalgia. Oh, that's amazing, thanks very much. Make sure you tell your friends about us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.